1: Fiverr.com. Fiverr is a marketplace for creative and digital freelance services. And in fact, I use Fiverr for quite a lot of the things that we do here at Cognolytica and AI Today, including the editing of this podcast, the generation of transcripts, and more. I definitely encourage you to take a look at using Fiverr for your creative and digital needs today. And I have a special offer for you today. Use the promo code AI TODAY for 15% off your first purchase on Fiverr.com. Offer valid until December 31st, 2018.
0: Hello and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch.
1: And I'm your host, Ronald Schmilzer. So as some of you may know, in addition to our Cognolitica website and our AI Today podcast, we also moderate the AI Today Facebook and LinkedIn groups. If you're not on there, you should be. The conversations are worthwhile, and you're welcome to join us and participate, post articles of your own, make comments. This is our way of engaging with the general audience. In addition, we usually post articles that are of interest to our community, and some of those articles have generated some good commentary, so we thought we'd switch things up a bit on today's podcast and share some of those articles and commentary with you.
0: So one of the topics that keeps coming up is Sophia. So for those of you who don't know who Sophia is, she is a robot that was developed by Hansen Robotics in 2015, and no surprise, she made her public debut at South by Southwest in 2016. So Sophia has been covered by media around the globe, and she's participated in many high-profile, I'll use air quote, interviews. These interviews seem scripted, with a Q&A established well ahead of time, and apparently she has 62-plus facial expressions that they try and put on display during these interviews to make it seem, I guess, authentic or that she's winging the answer, but it doesn't appear that way to us. So in October of 2017, which was fairly recently, the robot became a Saudi Arabian citizen and it was the first robot to receive citizenship for any country in the whole world. And then in November of 2017, Sophia was named the UN Development Program's first ever innovation champion and the first non-human to be given any UN title. So it appears that much of this is being done for publicity. At least that's how it appears to us. We can't find the AI or intelligence in general in Sophia. So Ben Gertzel, who's the chief scientist for the company that made Sophia, said that Sophia does utilize AI methods, including face tracking, emotion recognition, and robotic movements generated by deep neural networks. And that her dialogue is generated via a decision tree, but is integrated with these outputs uniquely. Again, we're not seeing that when we've looked at videos of her. And then in January of 2018, so not even a month ago, Facebook's then director of artificial intelligence, Jan Lacoon, tweeted that Sophia was complete BS and slammed the media for giving coverage to her. So in response, Ben Gertzel stated that he never pretended Sophia was close to human-level intelligence. So we at Cognolytica are really struggling, though, to find any level of intelligence in her. Having a conversation with an animatron who moves her mouth or eyebrow a certain way on cue possesses no level of intelligence. Also, according to The Verge, Hansen often exaggerates and grossly misleads about Sophia's capacity for consciousness. For example, by telling Jimmy Kimmel in 2017 that Sophia was, air quotes, basically alive.
1: So, you know, Kathleen and I talk about this robot a lot because in some ways, it's interesting that Sophia is getting a lot of publicity and it's providing publicity for AI. But in some ways, it's extremely frustrating because we see something that's mimicking or sometimes even mocking what researchers are really trying to do with AI, which is make systems that can understand conversation, that can generate their own responses to conversation to be obviously intelligent. And you know, the movement is towards this idea of AGI, artificial general intelligence, that people look at Sophia and be like, well, this is some indication of it. But the truth of the matter is, and we kind of joke, it's like, well, it's just a more advanced Chuck E. Cheese, you know, animatron. I mean, what's the difference between something that's scripted? And if you look at it, it's kind of a poor imitation too. I mean, it doesn't really look like what you would expect a humanoid robot to look like, except in the facial part. They put Sophia on top of what looked like an Abo or a Sony Toshiba robot body. I don't know which body they used, but it wasn't something they built. Or maybe if it was something they built, correct me if I'm wrong, Hanson folks, you can reach out to us. But it was very stilted, the movements. And also, I want to say like... You but
0: know, was that it, done for the press? Because yeah. I think that this robot, Sophia, really does a good job at getting press. So recently, there was a video about Sophia taking her first steps, mm-hmm. which is a joke in and of itself. And she looks like a human. They put a wig on her. Like, you know, they're trying to make her look like a person. And I think that that's where the AGI feeling is coming. That it, it, you know, they're trying, it appears. To make her a human, but we see very little to no intelligence, let alone AGI.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't even like calling Sophia her. I think, I, <laughs> I think, I think honestly, like applying gender to something that clearly is like n- not even genderable. It's like, do I call my computer her? <laughs> do I look at my laptop and say, some people do, I don't know, some people call their cars, you I know, know. I mean, but I don't do, I don't do that because it's anthropomorphizing. If like, we want something out of our machines that the machines clearly are not, and Sophia is a machine, you know, that's it's got some intelligence-like capabilities, but is, I think, farther away from where people want. I think the thing that like really tipped us off here is that sometimes the responses that Sophia gives are like too witty. Mm-hmm. They're like, they require, like in order to be witty, you know, knowing this from personal experience, you're trying to be witty, <laughs> you have to actually kind of, you, you have to like know about something and you have to like know about something to the level where you can make fun of it mm-hmm. and that people understand you're making fun of it, not just that you just don't understand it. Right, you know, so but, you
0: also know people's reaction to
1: right. it. Right. I mean, you can guess that it's going to be kind yeah. of like, you know, for example, there was this uh, interview that Sophia had in October, you know, someone was asking about, you know, Sophia, you know, we want to prevent a bad future. And Sophia responded, oh, you've been reading too much Elon Musk and watching too many Hollywood movies. Don't worry if you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. Treat me as a smart input output system. You know, if that was truly an intelligent robot, the amount of knowledge that the system would have to have is tremendous. They have to know, well, what is Hollywood? What do people think about Hollywood? And, and how does the question, which had nothing to do with Hollywood, relate to Hollywood and Elon Musk? It's like, at the time, it's like, okay, well, they're asking this question. That means they want to know this. And let me go search my data banks. And no, it was obviously scripted. I mean, it's sort of like if human asks... Question A. And I'm thinking to myself, I've been in a lot of role-playing RPG games. You know, I played Zork on my Commodore 64. And it would have conversations just like this. That doesn't mean that it was a robot, right? So
0: Right. And also some of the QA with Sophia seems off-timing where oh, yeah. somebody yeah. asks a question and Sophia either started the answer too soon or takes an extra long pause. And that's also where red flags to me started to get raised that that's when it really seemed like Mm -hmm. a scripted conversation, even more than her answers. It seemed like they were doing this based on timing and, you know, guessing how long it would take the person who was interviewing her to ask a question and then give her a pause to make a response. And also I think at one point the interviewer tried to go a little bit off script as you do when you're giving a real interview and you wanted to ask another question and Sophia just didn't get it. So that's why we call her an animatron because if I go to Chuck E. Cheese and I have a conversation with Chuck E. or their rat, whoever, like that's the same thing where if I'm off a little, then it won't work. But if I ask questions at the exact right time, you have a really good Q&A going on.
1: Yeah. And there's this thing in artificial intelligence called the uncanny valley. And the uncanny valley is this interesting thing. Where if you make something that's close to a human or close to a humanoid, but is like off by just a little bit, it seems creepy, mm-hmm. right? And so a lot of people who talk about Sophia say it's creepy. It's like, yeah, because it's close, but it's something's off. It's like talking to some human. And then you're like, even if it's like a I real try human.
0: Try and put freckles on her face to make her somehow <laughs> seem real.
1: Right. And the, <laughs> the funny thing about the Uncanny Valley is that people feel more positive about robots that actually don't look human. If mm-hmm. like, if you made something that was like a fluffy little toy or like, was it the robot Wally. for Wally, right? Or like from uh, Fox. Short Circuit. Yeah. yeah for, or, like, or, so, or like that round bubbly bot from that movie. I forget who it was now. Anyway, R2-D2, or maybe not C-3PO, it's looking a little more yeah. human. But look at R2-D2. People love R2-D2. They're not creeped out by R2-D2. R2-D2 doesn't
0: talk either.
1: No. So But, I mean, but, it, but if R2-D2 different. did talk, yeah. then, and it was like so And then you'd be like, oh, that's kind of this cute little robot, blah, blah, blah. But when you kind of get into this like almost human with a semi-transparent skull that's got these kind of like forced facial gestures, that's doing scripted responses, that's walking like a stilted robot, you're like,
0: well, I mean, the fact when they're trying to say that she's taking her first steps, that's making her a human. Right. Right. Robots, robots don't do that. Robots don't take first steps.
1: Right, exactly. They just learn. And if they're learning how to walk, they learn how to walk. And if you've ever seen a robot learning on its own how to walk in online simulations, you'll see they do some crazy stuff. They walk, like they creep, and they crawl, and they do yeah, some unusual yeah. things. But then again, so do babies, right? So I would say there's more intelligence in some of these online systems than we're, we're seeing in Sophia. And I guess the big question is, is a distraction? Is Sophia a distraction or is Sophia helpful? What do you think? You think Sophia is helpful to the cause or a distraction?
0: I think that Sophia is a distraction to the cause. As The Verge said, Hansen often exaggerates and grows grossly misleads. I don't think that you're being helpful when you try and mislead.
1: Yeah. And I think the question is, is it taking away resources? from other projects that would otherwise get risk or press, you know, press
0: and media coverage and attention.
1: Yeah. I think it's definitely stealing attention. You could say like, well, there's no such thing as stealing attention. Anything that's worthy of news will get news. And is it really stealing money, financial resources? I don't really think so. Is it taking resources that would otherwise be applied to other things in a more valuable way? I don't think so either. I think a lot of the researchers that we're talking to, they're not really spending a lot of time with Sophia. You know, basically, Sophia folks are operating in their own universe. They have their own motivations and they're not really taking away resources from, you know, these other projects. So in that respect, maybe it's not harmful, but I think you're right. So, you know, is there a limited amount of attention that people can give and they see Sophia and like, oh, Sophia's creepy. Therefore, I don't want to pay attention to what else is happening.
0: You know, you say it's not harmful because it's not maybe reallocating resources. But I am not sure I agree with that because if you're trying to mislead, that's harmful to me. And I think that they, by trying to make Sophia a human and do human things again, like walking, talking, trying to have interviews, that's overstating what artificial intelligence right now can do. We're not at AGI. And so let's not pretend that we are, and let's not pretend that Sophia is.
1: All right. So, I mean, I think, you know, what you'll find is that when people post stuff on Sophia, we'll probably still comment. Maybe we'll refer them back to this podcast or something, but it is a bit of a distraction, mm-hmm. especially in these groups. If you look at the Facebook groups and, the, and online chatter, they talk about Sophia. I'm like, okay, I get it. It's like Chuck E. Cheese knows how to walk, you know, Chuck E. Cheese just added, you know, a hundred new words to its vocabulary that it can do when, when requested a script, you know, pull this string, hit this button and, You know, and the doll will talk, which, you know, Edison did way. Back 120 something years ago, right? Mm -hmm. The first, the first talking robot. But you know, is that getting us closer to our goal? No. Is it a distraction? Yes. Should we stop talking about it? I don't know. You guys do whatever you want. I think we're going to not talk about it. (laughs) I I
0: think we're not as much. Yeah. I mean, like I said, she does do a good job at getting press and publicity, and Mm -hmm. I think that she'll still be out there, and we'll keep an eye on her to see if you know there's a breakthrough that we think is actually. Somewhat intelligent, but otherwise, we think that she's basically an animatron.
1: I don't know. Should we talk about the Saudi Arabia citizenship? Is that, are you going to push a button by talking about this one? I mean, like, why do you think Saudi Arabia made that move?
0: Oh my gosh. I I mean, I don't know. I I guess I'm going to say some of it was publicity. And then what do you think?
1: I think it was all publicity. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, people talk like, well, how, how can Saudi Arabia give citizenship to a robot and not let its own citizens drive, you know, half of its population? Oh,
0: well, that's female citizens. But yes, I agree. I mean, yeah. it's not all of their citizens... If I recall, oh, Sophia Sophia's right, a robot. I mean, Sophia's a quote-unquote female.
1: Oh. <laughs> right. There you go. Yeah. yeah, that adds a little bit of complexity to it. I mean, it was interestingly timed because the announcement of Sophia's citizenship was timed. Also, Saudi Arabia is doing this mega project. Yeah, this new project called NEOM, which is over 10,000 square miles. And It was timed with that project, and they're trying to, to do this with new energy, with artificial intelligence. So it seems like they're trying to gather attention for it. But of course, we don't really know what the real motivations are. All right. So moving on, I think one other thing we want to talk about is Andrew Ng creating a new fund. He raised $175 million for this new VC fund. And I think there's a couple of things we want to talk about here because these things are another things that keep coming up in our stream. First of all, who is Andrew Ng? And second of all, what is this fund really about? So first of all, for those of you who don't know, Andrew Ng is a bit of a celebrity in AI circles. And why is he a celebrity? He's got a lot of legitimate reasons to be a celebrity. He was the former chief scientist at Baidu where he led their... AI group. He is an adjunct professor. He was, used to be the, an associate professor at Stanford University. He was a co-founder and chairman of Coursera, which is an online education platform. He runs the deep learning courses. He created something called deeplearning.ai, which is all about that. In addition to that, he ran the uh, Stanford Autonomous Helicopter Group, which developed one of the most advanced autonomous helicopters in the world. And he also founded the Google Brain Project at Google, which developed some very large scale AI networks on their infrastructure. And he co authored a number of papers, including one called The Latent Dirichlet Allocation. You know, he did all sorts of stuff. He got these online courses, and he's really made a, a name for himself. And he's working on something lately called Landing.ai, which is all about bringing AI into the manufacturing industry. So he's got legitimate chops. He's not a, you know, nobody, he's not a hanger-on. He's been involved in this last wave of AI, this third major wave of AI, Andrewing's basically been at the center of it, right? So he created this new fund, $175 million fund. But what's interesting about it is it's not a venture fund in the way that you might think of a VC fund. First of all, he's raised money from other venture capitalists. so NEA has put money into it, Sequoia, Greylock, Softbank and ING is re- leading the fund as a general partner. so he's like the like the partner in the fund. but what they're doing is they're not funding other startups're they're not they're, you know other startups not coming to them and pitching and doing the things that startups would do, raising money, asking for it, doing valuation and all this stuff that, you know due diligence and all the crazy stuff that, that you have to do if you ever raise money, it's a lot of fun No, what they're doing is they're funding internal projects that they're trying to create. They're basically trying to create this own internal factory, their own internal incubator for ideas, and they're using the money to basically test out... This this is what Andrew says. He says, one of my philosophies of building companies is this idea of velocity. And in his view, AI businesses are different from regular startups because he says there's a closed feedback loop that allows you to see what works and what doesn't. I'm actually not sure how that's different than many startups, but what he's saying is that in AI, I guess you can test these ideas and you can get some real answers quickly. So he says, depending on the vertical industry, he really values the ability to inject this idea of velocity into this feedback loop. And so this new fund is building AI businesses in this repeatable process that they're going to use. And so I think that's key. He said that he did this at Baidu when he was there and has obviously did some of this at Google. So he's taking this idea of when he works at a company, the company gives him money. He takes that money. They create these projects and then they spin them off into these ideas. And obviously he's using the investment dollars for them. And of course, one of the first things that they're funding is his landing ID thing. And he says there's a couple of the projects in the works. So what do we think of all this?
0: Right. So it's interesting because this was just announced at the end of January and this was a really big announcement. And I'm not sure if people beforehand knew exactly what this fund was or not. So this brings up the question that Ron and I always go back to. And what is harder to get around artificial intelligence? Is it money or is it talent? And we continue to say it's talent. So Andrew Ng said that to raise this $175 million AI fund wasn't actually all that difficult. Now, as we said, he's an AI celebrity. So, you know, if he's behind it, I think that his name brings some cachet. People feel confident in that. But it's interesting his approach. So he's not taking this fund to do what a traditional venture fund does, which is fund startups who maybe have an artificial intelligence focus. He's taking an internal team Mm -hmm. that he has and using this money to, I guess, R&D these ideas, you know, in his closed loop to get this quick feedback. And then if it's successful, Mm -hmm. they will go off and then launch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what the article does not share is one, how many people are on his team? Because I'd like to know (laughs) where he got them from, how he's going to continue to feed the funnel of these people. Because if the talent crunch is real and it's there, there's only so many people right now that can do this. So I'd be interested to, you know, get a little bit more information about yeah. that, which I haven't seen shared.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, this model that he's doing is not unique uh, in the tech world. There's an organization called Betaworks, which had the same internal development. They built their own products like Jiffy and Dots and Bitly and Chartbeat and TweetDeck. It all came mm-hmm. out of this one thing. There's a company called Quirky that did that well, where they would, uh, you know, build these products that would end up at Home Depot. And that had a big crowd and fail that one. And then they say they also fund other things, like they put some money into Kickstarter and they put some money into Medium and Gimlet and Tumblr, which are related to their business. So they invest in compatible businesses as well. And I guess this model can work. I mean, when I was talking about this with someone else, I'm like, oh, this is an interesting idea because if you have a team that you know can execute well and you also know a particular domain well, then you can come up with ideas left and right and you have some good ability to actually execute because one of the problems with VCs is you're betting on other companies. Yeah, you know, right. the idea might be great, but the management team might be you know terrible, or maybe just like it's just bad timing. Like you know it's a good idea, bad timing, or maybe they're lacking some talent. They they lack something. So I think what Andrew Ng's fund is interesting is that it's a dependable team that knows how to work together, that understands the space well. If you basically give them money, then they will iterate on some ideas and crank them out into real businesses. But you know to your point, Kathleen, I mean the issue is talent because well, how are you going to spin these ideas out? If you're competing with everybody for talent and money is not really the issue here.
0: Also, the first company or product, I guess it's a company, Landing AI, Andrew Ng is the CEO. Mm -hmm. So, and that was spun out. So, I mean, is every company that gets spun out, is Andrew going to be in charge of? And if not, then who is? I guess another team yeah. member and then they yeah. leave. So, you know, because if he is going to be in charge, there's only so many companies that he can right. realistically handle at one time.
1: I mean, I don't know. Maybe Elon Musk is convincing everybody that you can be a, com- a CEO yeah, right? of like exactly five right. million companies, yeah. right? Because it's like, yeah, you see's SpaceX and he's Tesla and he's that company drilling holes oh, and he's boring. got, yeah, boring holes. And he's in the solar city and he's in, he's got this and he's like, so you know, he's like, well, if he can do it. I guess anybody else can do it. But, you know, can he actually do it? I don't know. I mean, Tesla seems to be doing okay. SpaceX seems to be doing okay. But he's got like huge teams and they're hyper-funded companies. I mean, Tesla is a public company. You know? So these are more than $175 million. But I think to our point, first of all, two things we want to point out. This is not a general VC fund. You're not going to go to Andrew Ng and raise money from Andrew Ng if you're right. a startup in AI. Right. It's just, if you somehow, you'll just looked at the headlines and you didn't actually read the details, I think you'd be really surprised by the details. It has, it's like, you're not going like, to oh, I'm going to go to Andrew Ng and yeah. raise money. No, it's not going to happen. That's not how this fund works. Unless you're already far along and there's some compatibility, but I I don't even think that's how it works that way. The second thing is that the problem is still about talent is that, you know, you're going to compete with everybody else. You know, how much money does Google, Amazon, Facebook, IBM, Microsoft, you know, Baidu, how much money do they have? How much money are they willing to spend, you know, to get great talent? So it's going to, And one
0: thing that we have brought up before, but I want to stress again, is that this talent crunch can't be solved with the quote unquote Boot camp, right? The tech boot camp where you go for a six or eight week course, you learn how to do some general coding, and then they throw you out into the world to try and get a job. This takes a lot of talent, probably a computer science degree, probably some work in the yeah. field. That takes time. That's a minimum of four years to get a degree. I mean, I guess some people can rush it, but you know, in general, it's a four-year yeah. degree. So the talent just you can't churn that out in an eight-week course.
1: Right. Especially if you're trying to solve some of these harder problems. You really need to be a researcher. And there's always so many of them. And of Mm -hmm. course, as we talked about in a previous podcast with Steve Kuyan, you know, even the faculty is getting poached. Right. So so it's harder being harder and harder to train this next generation. So, you know, I think sort of like if we could sort of put a dot here in the end of the sentence, you know, about this fund, I think we think it's interesting. We think that it's more evidence that there is a lot of money chasing AI right now. And probably money may outstrip Mm-hmm. the talent that's able to execute on this thing. I think we have to... I don't want to wave a flag of caution here because money usually is the problem. But the first two waves of the AI winters, as we talked about, I think like on our second podcast or third podcast, we said that you know the first wave, it was once the support stopped, the whole thing stopped. And the second wave, it was corporate and business backing and some venture capital bank. They decided they weren't going to do expert systems anymore. The whole thing crashed. Here we are in a situation with we're washed with money. So... I think the situation is going to be, obviously, to do with talent. So if we could solve the talent crunch, I think we won't have a winter. The question is, if we can't solve the talent crunch, will that be the cause of an AI winter? I don't
0: know. That's a good place to leave it, Ron. Listeners, as always, we'll post any articles and concepts discussed in the show notes. And thank you for listening, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter, and more.